happy to let you borrow one. We're in Hebrews chapter 9. And as I'm going to read, and uh, if you feel like, oh man, uh, COVID stuff, and and you want to run away, that'll be your time to get out of here. And we would totally understand. But uh, again, we feel very confident that uh, as far as us and people here, uh, we're okay. All right, so Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to be looking at a very interesting portion, and, uh, and thus even the title, I entitled our message, The Power of His Blood, and we're going to be talking about the blood of Jesus, uh, which is in, a, a great topic in itself, uh, an interesting topic, but that is where the text brings us. I think most of you know the way that we kind of roll here at Calvary is we just, we go book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse. It's kind of the way that we teach the scriptures. And so this is where we find ourselves in this text. In chapter 9, we're going to pick up at verse 11. I I will do my best to give some context as well, um, but, you know, also looking at the passage. And I will tell you this ahead of time. Uh, Normally, as best I can, we'll try to find application. We read these things, okay, what's true? What's a biblical principle that's timeless, that was true for the original audience? And what does it mean for us? But also then, how does that apply to us? And so I I do want to do my best to find application, but I'll tell you ahead of time, a lot of the application is just to know this, to be assured of this and what the blood of Jesus Christ means for us um, as believers. Well, actually what it means for the world, but specifically for us as believers, okay? All right. If you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand Hebrews chapter 9 and... uh, just to stand in honor of God, in honor of his word. We will, um, I think I put verse 15, but I think we're going to really just go from 11 to 14. And, uh, and I'll just read 11 and 12. Those verses are a little bit longer and, you know, have their own substance. We read, but Christ came as high priest. And so the writer has been talking about the priesthood. Here's a contrast, of course, but Christ came as a high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. And the writer tells us, not made with hands compared to the earthly one, uh, that is not of this creation. And also notice, not then with the blood of goats and calves, another contrast, but with his own blood. Jesus entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And then he'll give us some commentary on the blood and what that means. But let's just pause there and um, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the morning. Oh, Lord, I, there's so much going on in the world today. And as we turn on the news, as we open up our social media feeds, uh, what we see and what we read can be very disheartening. I imagine there are a flood of emotions, especially what's happening in Afghanistan, what's happening in Haiti, uh, Lord, really just around the world, all these various conflicts. Uh, Lord, we read about fires that are happening and storms that are happening and, of course, COVID that continues to be the bully of our calendar and our plans. Uh, Father, in all of these things, as we find ourselves in the swirl of commotion, of conflict, of chaos, and along with that, 
emotions and frustrations and anger and fear. God, thank you that we can come into your sanctuary. Thank you, God, that we can get our eyes off of ourselves and off of the news and to put them on you and to be reminded that you are good, that you are powerful, that you are sovereign. Lord, that you uh, are not pacing the halls of heaven wondering what's going to happen. But Father, even all of these things you've placed in motion because you have a divine timeline. And Lord, with that, then we can find our comfort to know that you are in control. Jesus, you're coming back. And all of these things remind us, they are the birth pangs that you spoke of, that you're coming back soon. And so God, may we find our rest and our comfort and our trust in you. Lord, not only for the world, but also for our families, for our family situation, for the things that are happening here on this precious, beautiful island. Father, may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Would you take a moment and say hello? You can wave at somebody or elbow bump them, you know, our new way of greeting nowadays. Welcome back to some of you who are traveling as well. Uh, good to see you guys back. So today we're talking about blood. It's a little bit of a biology class along with uh, Bible study. Um, you know, the study of blood and everything about blood actually has its own terminology. Its own. It's called a hematology. Um, and for some people to talk about blood or even the sight of blood makes them a little squeamish. Is anybody here this morning? You're like, oh, or maybe you faint at the sight of blood. Uh, oh yeah. All right, we had a couple of first service, so I, you know, I had all the slides that I had, they were like not doing well. No, just joking. Just joking. Uh, we might have a different response to it, but I, I mean, obviously, one thing we all share, one trait that we all share is the fact that we have uh, blood that's, you know, pumping through our body. We are red-blooded human beings, uh, unless you, you know, think that you're a Vulcan and, uh, you know, green-blooded. But, uh, you know, we, the way that God's designed us is we have blood in our bodies, and it's amazing to think about just even um, how the body was designed, how God created us, right? Hopefully, you know, you were created in the image of God, you're a creation of God, and how he made our bodies. And they're amazing. You know, Alex sent me this video this past week of these robots that were doing parkour. You guys seen that? The, uh, and I watched them, like, okay, I'm not impressed by that. I can jump on blocks and stuff like that. I'm going to make my own parkour video and, uh, you know, post it, but... Um, I mean, not only, can, not only can we do amazing things, but uh, just the human body in itself is amazing. You know, we're reminded of the amazing things we can do. The Olympics are happening. The Paralympics are taking place. We need to continue to pray for Japan. But when you think about our bodies, and some of you know these things, just the systems themselves of our body, right? The skeletal system and the uh, endocrine system and the digestive system and the respiratory system and the urinary system. I mean, there's all of these systems that... God has put in our body to include then the cardiovascular and the circulatory system that our, our heart is pumped, you know, is a pump and it's pumping this stuff called blood that makes its way all through our body and essentially keeps us alive. Now, I, I want to share some interesting facts about blood with you. Hopefully you can bear with me. And maybe these are things you already know. And if some of you are medical people, you already know this. But blood is made up of 
uh, of different types of cells and actually other things that are in our blood. And, and it's mostly uh, red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, and I, I know there's other things, and it's all suspended in this thing, uh, this liquid plasma that constitutes our blood. Uh, maybe some of you, like me, but when I was back in college, we run a little short on money, and so a few of us would go and donate our, well, we wouldn't donate, we would sell our plasma, 25 bucks, and so we would often do it on a Sunday, so we'd have money for Taco Tuesday, uh, you know, your plasma. But uh, it's the red blood cells that carry oxygen through our body, and of course, it's the white blood cells, and and I know that many of you know this, there's also different types of white blood cells and different types of red, red blood cells. But they're vital in defending our bodies against disease, like coronavirus and other harmful things. Included in that are also then metals. You have like metals in your body, lead and copper and zinc and, and iron and these things. In fact, several websites that I looked at said there's even gold in our blood. And so when I read that, I said, Eureka! Anyway, <laughs> Sorry, just make sure you're awake, okay. Most of you know there are four different major blood types, uh, O, A, B, and AB. You guys know what blood type you are? You guys know what blood type you are? For the longest time, I thought I was blood type O. Anyone who asked me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm O. Um, my wife is A, and, uh, and so after we had our third kid, the doctor did a blood thing. He said, oh, your baby's type is B, and I went, oh, uh, so the doctor said, either something, your wife needs to tell you something, or you don't really know your blood type. <laughs> and praise the Lord, I didn't really know my blood type. <laughs> or that would be a different story I'd be telling. Of, yeah, so. uh, but uh, I found out the most common blood type in, for um, Americans is O positive, and the most common blood type for Japanese actually is A positive. But, uh, anybody know the, the, the rarest blood type? Very good, AB negative, very good. Uh, so it, apparently 0.6% of the population of the world is AB negative. That's the rarest blood type. Uh, also, according to several websites that I saw, uh, most mosquitoes uh, prefer blood type O. So, all right, you guys have sweet blood, right? I thought I used to be O, <laughs> but I'm not. Anyway. Uh, in your lifetime, your heart will pump 1.5 million barrels of blood. A blood cell can make a complete circuit in your body in 30 seconds. And if you have high blood pressure like me, it's 20 seconds, right? We just get it faster. Uh, and then when you donate blood, uh, they usually will take about 500 milliliters. So just think a Japanese Coke bottle, like worth of blood. That's how much they take out of you. And by the way, they do say that when you donate blood, uh, you can save up to three lives. And so what an important thing that we get to do, right, to donate blood. Uh, I came across this interesting phrase on the American Red Cross website, the World Health Organization, a few other medical organizations in regards to donating blood. And here's the sentence that they all had. Blood is the most precious gift that anyone can give to another person. It is the gift of life. And when I read that, I thought just... Amen. God already told us that thousands of years ago. In the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, God declared, for the life is in the blood. In fact, we can even go earlier in the book of Genesis, 
when God is talking about making an offering and he talks about what you can and cannot eat, he says, listen, don't eat things that have the blood in it because it is the lifeblood of that animal. And so uh, the Red Cross and uh, these medical organizations are really just declaring something that we already know, that God has already declared. And in fact, as you make your way through the Bible, from Genesis to the book of Revelation, guess what? You are going to encounter blood, <laughs> the theme of blood. It runs through every book and every chapter. It is the theme of the gospel. It is the theme of scripture, the blood of Jesus Christ. So much so that some people will call Christianity the religion of blood. From the sacrifices that we see, the patriarchs make, the Passover lamb, the giving of the law, all of it was enacted, and it came, as we read last week, not without the blood. Where does he say that? He says that in, oh gosh, sorry, I thought I marked it in my um, Bible. Verse 7, thank you, very good not without the blood. And so just as the blood meant something powerful and personal to the people in the Old Testament, we need to understand that the, the spiritual application of the blood of Jesus Christ, it means something very powerful, and it means something very personal to you and to me today. And so that's what we're going to consider in our time this morning. As I mentioned earlier, there's not a lot of application. The application is going to be know this, hold on to this, praise the Lord for this. What does the blood of Jesus mean for us today? I draw your attention back to verse 11 as the writer's writing to these Jewish believers who've come out of their Jewish faith to follow Jesus. He's been making the case to say, Christ is better. Everything about Jesus is better. Now, one of the ways that he is doing that is he's been building a bridge from the Old Testament, reminding them of things they already knew, and by way of contrast and comparison, demonstrating to them, all of it is a picture. All of it is a foreshadow to point us to Jesus. And so he's building this bridge from the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, and everything that it you know, contained, and bringing us to Christ in the new covenant and saying, listen, Jesus fulfilled all all of those pictures, all of those promises, all of the, 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 the types and the foreshadows, the symbols as he referred to them as, Christ fulfilled those things. And one of the, the arguments he makes for us is to say back in verse 8, listen, the old covenant, the old system, it was temporary. God designed it that way. Another thing he tells us in verse 9, that it was symbolic. All of it was just a picture. It was, it was representative of what was going to come. And then verse 10, he tells us it's also limited. It could not accomplish what God uh, designed or... Let me see. How should I say this? It was limited on purpose. And it was designed to point people to... Uh, realize what they needed was that they needed a Savior. Uh, so the new covenant, however, is completely the opposite. It's not temporary. It's eternal. It's not, the, 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 it's not symbolic. It is the substance. It's the real deal. 
And it's not limited. It is complete. It is final. And so his whole, part of his whole writing has been that Jesus has come then as our final, complete, eternal high priest. And he has, in a sense, replaced the temporary, limited priesthood in all of that system. So Jesus came, verse 11, as the high priest, and along with that, he brought better things or good things to come. And again, the overarching theme, everything about the old system, what it could not do, Jesus did. It's fulfilled in Christ. That's why he's greater. That's why he's better. Everything about him is better. And along with that are the good things your Bible might even say that have come, some of it's translated to come, and both of those are true. And by the way, let me just park here for a second. How many of you know that this is the promise of God for you today? There are good things to come. There are good things that have come, and there are good things yet to come. That is the promise of the Lord for you and for me. Now I realize, because I'm on Facebook too, and I watch the news too, and I can be consumed by those things, so we, you, know, you can pray for me. It may not seem that way right now. It, things don't seem to be good right now. And perhaps maybe even in your world, outside of what's happening in the, the greater you know, world around us, that you can't imagine how in the world uh, your present circumstances will ever work out for good or to be good. And yet, I want to tell you and encourage you in love, listen, it is a promise that God has given to you. If you name the name of Jesus Christ this morning, you have a promise that is, is anchored to the character and the nature of God himself. Like, we would affirm together, all things are not good. Right? It, it, there's a lot of bad things happening in the world right now. There have been a lot of bad decisions that have been made. There are a lot of bad policies that are enacted. Um, and there are things that make us mad and sad and frustrated and angry, uh, and maybe even for you, uh, terribly disappointed, terribly feeling betrayed, feeling helpless or maybe even hopeless. But yet the promise of God stands. And he tells us in Romans 8.28, I know it's been, you know, people quote it all the time, but understand, it is still biblical truth. That God promises you that he will work all things, not some things, not most things, all things. He will work them all together for good. The idea is for your good and to his glory, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so all of that is predicated upon God. It's God who's in control. It's God who's at work. It's God who says, I'm going to work it for good. Even if we can't see it right now, even if we don't understand it right now, even if things right now look bad, appear bad, listen, God is going to work it for good. And we can know that and be assured of that because God is good and God is faithful. Amen? I, I pray that you believe that. Good things to come. He is the high priest. And what? It says, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Remember, he walked us through the tabernacle. He gave us a tour of the, of the earthly sanctuary, as he referred to it. But now there is a different one. There's a heavenly one, a greater one, a better one, a more perfect one, made not with hands, that is, not of this creation. 
Now, if you weren't with us last week, we spent a lot of time talking about that whole system and what it meant then to walk through the, the tabernacle and the different pieces of furniture and how all of it's symbolic and all, all of it points to Christ. But there is no longer an earthly sanctuary where we must go, where we have to go, that we have to stand in line or make an appointment or even if we were part of the priesthood, that we were even limited in how far we could get to or how close we could draw to God. That even if you were the high priest, you had the highest position, only one time, once a year, were you even allowed into the Holy of Holies. And how that, that was very limited. And yet by amazing contrast, Christ as our high priest provides all of us full access. And it's the point he's already made earlier boldly we can come to the throne room of grace. Anytime you need, no matter where you are, in your car, in the shower, anywhere. And with that comes this full access to all of the resources of heaven. Everything is at your disposal. You know, when I... Um, some of you guys know I have four kids. Two of them are uh, in the States. Uh, Noah's working now. Rebecca's starting her third year of college, studying nursing. You can pray for her. And, uh, and we're about to launch Nehemiah. He's my uh, high schooler. And, uh, and so he, like the, the other two siblings, was like, well, when we go, I'm going to get a bank account, and I, you're going to give me your ATM card, right? I'm like, what are you, where do you get this wrong idea, this thinking from? You know, I'm not going to give you my ATM card. You know, we're going to make your own bank account, all these things. Like, you're not having access to my $5, you know. <laughs> so God, if you will, uh, as his kids gave us a spiritual ATM card. And he says, listen, you can come to the bank of heaven and you can withdraw all that you need, anytime you need it, as much as you need, perpetually. And, and God has the ultimate overdraft protection, right? It never runs out. If you need wisdom, if you need courage, if you need grace, you need love, you need assurance, anything and everything that you and I need, God provides. And he, and he, and he gives to us, right? And so, listen, we, we can come to him at any time. We don't have to worry about hours or a person. And, and we can come and we can pray the, the, the more perfect tabernacle, the, the better sanctuary, which we've been invited to. And by the way, that is why it's so important for us to pray, if I can make kind of a, a side note here. Because think about the access that we have and the resources that we have and how often we actually tap into those things. Aside from praying for our meal or praying when we're late, like, Lord, give me green lights. <laughs> like even beyond that, you know, I, I, I'm like you. There, there's so many things I'm watching happening in the news in Afghanistan and in Haiti and, and other parts of the world, and I feel, I feel so powerless. And yet we're not, though, right? We, and we have unlimited resources for places and people and situations that we can come into the throne room of heaven and pray and ask God, although we physically can't access, we physically can't be there, but man, we can move heaven and earth in prayer and ask God to, to work. And how many of us would agree that prayer is powerful? Because God is powerful. 
And so Christ has come. These good things include that, access to the Lord. Anytime, anywhere. As our high priest. But also notice, he keeps the the same imagery. Remember, the high priest had to come in with an offering. And he says, not then with the blood of goats, not with the blood of calves, but with his own blood, his own sacrifice, that he came into the most holy place. And notice, not temporarily, not once, but once for all. And what did he do? He obtained eternal, forever redemption. And then he adds this commentary, because for if the blood of goats and calves and and the ashes of a heifer, by the way, that's the red heifer, some of you guys are aware of that, right? That they would sacrifice, they would mix with water, they would basically use as a cleansing agent ceremonially for everything to be ready for worship. And the writer says, if that can cleanse the outside things, how much more, and he phrases in a question, how much more then the blood of Christ, who is without spot, completely blameless, in the power of the Spirit, how much more does it cleanse then our conscience, our soul, from dead works so that we can serve a living God? It's a sobering consideration that he wants to bring us to. And, and this is where we're going to camp a little bit. And I'm going to unpack it a little bit more than even the verses uh, provide for us here. See, it's in these verses that the writer reveals not only is Jesus the perfect uh, final high priest that forever replaces the priesthood, but Jesus himself also is the perfect final sacrifice that replaces all the sacrifices. The whole system has been replaced. By way of a reminder, remember it was only the high priest, only once a year, on a very special holiday called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where he was allowed in, into the most sacred, holy of holies. And when he came in, he had to come in with an offering. He had to bring something. And what did he bring? We read here, well, he brought the blood of a sacrifice. And he would bring it into that holy place. And you remember, we talked about the furniture that was in there. And and curiously, the writer says there was the the table of incense. And because on the Day of Atonement, he had to pray, he'd offer prayers of the people. But even, I want to say more importantly, along with that, he would offer the blood of the sacrifice upon the Ark of the Covenant specifically on the lid, which was called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat were these two angelic figures that their wings would touch and they would be facing downward. And in a very curious ceremony, he took that blood and he basically splattered it. He sprinkled it in between that place upon the mercy seat. Now, all of it we talked about, it's a picture of Christ. Jesus is our mercy seat. In fact, the same root word for the word propitiation, which I'll talk about in a little bit, it's the same word, the place of mercy. But how did it all happen? What happened where an animal was sacrificed, an innocent animal, that blood from that animal then was taken. And mind you, we talked about how it would be a graphic 
uh, visual and experience for the people of Israel to see and to be a part of. Imagine the smells and the sight and all of it. And, and God designed it that way. And I, I, I propose to you on purpose for them to realize the seriousness of sin. What did sin cost? It cost life. It's Paul who tells us in the book of Romans, the wages, the outcome, the effect of our sin, it's death. <laughs> and bringing then an innocent animal to be sacrificed was a, a very graphic visual of that fact. And when it was sacrificed, part of its blood was taken and it was offered. But mind you, the, the, that animal was sacrificed in your place. It was a substitutionary sacrifice. That you would come and you would bring this animal. And by the way, it had to be the best of your flock. It couldn't be the, the runt or the junky one, one that's like, oh, you know, it's already uh, on its you know, last leg. No, it had to be the best. And then you would pray over, you would confess your sins. Lord, I yelled at my kids, I kicked my cat. You know, you, you would confess your sins. And then by ceremonial spiritual transference, that animal then was taken in your place, sacrificed in your place. You were then set free. That whole system. And so it was the blood that then represented the life of that sacrifice that was sprinkled there in the Holy of Holies. Because along what God says, not only is it the life that's in the blood, Leviticus 17, 11, he goes on to say, and I have given it to you as the atonement upon the altar for your souls. Life is in the blood, and blood becomes the agent in which then we and you are atoned for. It makes atonement for the sinner. And so that's what the blood does. It provided atonement for the sinner. But what the writer has been um, reminding us of, reminding the original audience of, is like, okay, he's saying, hey, think with me, though. Think with me through this system. There's a problem inherent in the system. And here's the problem. It never ends. It's perpetual. First of all, it's perpetual because the high priest had to come back year after year after year and offering, you know, offering after offering after offering. It's also never-ending because the sin of the people and the sin of the nation and the sin of the person. We're constantly sinning. The moment you go and you're like, oh, I'm great, I'm atoned for, then you try to walk carefully, you know, and not covet someone's chariot, you know, or, and all of a sudden, oh, there you go, you sin. It was just constant. Reminds me of this dream that I had. I had this dream where I was in heaven. When I got to heaven, I was walking in the hallways and I saw, you know, there's an angel there. And I looked in the walls and there's all these clocks. And I was like, what in the world are these clocks? And so I asked the angel, what are these clocks? And the angel said, oh, they're not clocks. Those are sin meters. I'm like, sin meters? He said, yeah, anytime a person sins, the meter moves. I'm like, What? He said, yeah, come check it out. And so I looked, and then I saw there are people's names on it. And so, you know, I, I saw Kirk's, and it was moving pretty good, you know, and then oh, I'm going to pick on some other people, sorry. I saw Lauren's. 
had cobwebs on it. But you know what I wanted to find out? I wanted to know where Pastor Alex's was. So I'm like, hey, where's Alex's sin meter? They're like, oh, we keep it in a special place. Oh, you do? He's like, yeah, come follow me. So I went, and you know where they kept his sin meter? In the kitchen. I'm like, why do you keep it in the kitchen? They said, oh, we use it as a fan. It moves so fast. <laughs> Cools us off. Listen, we constantly sin. We're sinners. And so atonement, the system of atonement, though, then was constant. It, it was temporary. Redemption needed to be repeated. It's like your dishes or your laundry. As soon as you think you're done, guess what? You're not. There's the dirty dish. There's a stain on your shirt. Here we go again. It's just the cyclic that never ends. And yet, enter Jesus. Enter Jesus into that system. He is the permanent solution to the problem. He is the perfect, spotless, sinless sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. His cousin would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus himself declares, My blood, my blood of the covenant, it is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, Matthew 26. Jesus there in the upper room as they're having their Passover meal, the Last Supper, takes the cup. You remember his declaration? This cup is the cup of my blood. It is the new covenant, a new deal, the new arrangement, the new thing that God was doing. The old system has been completed. It's Peter who then reminds us, listen, you were not ransomed with perishable things like gold or silver. You weren't redeemed. You weren't purchased by those kind of things. You and I were ransomed. You and I were, were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God without spot or wrinkle. Peter tells us, 1 Peter 1, 18, 19. And so, gang, what do we want to learn about the blood of Christ? Understand this. The power of the blood of Christ cleanses you of all sin. Past, present, future. The stupid things that you and I did yesterday, this morning, and tomorrow, and next week that we'll do. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us and forgives us of all of those things. The Old Testament provided a temporary cleansing, a limited atonement. You had to get back in line. When Jesus came, though, it's completely done. And nothing that you and I could ever do would ever uh, compensate for our sins, would ever cleanse us of the guilt or the shame or the stupid things that we've done, nothing that we do. And yet people try, and that's, what's, that's religion. I'm going to try to make sure my pluses are more than my minuses. King, nothing we could ever do erase the stain of sin. That's the bad news, regardless how big or small it is. And sometimes they can be big things, addictions and abuse and anger, sexual sins, affairs, stealing, lying, an unforgiving heart. Where your mind has taken you, where your feet have taken you, you know, and we think, oh, wait, there's no way. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you right now in love, as we sang earlier, what can wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And what can make you whole again? Nothing 
but the blood of Jesus Christ. So the writer explains to us it's Christ himself. Not only is the high priest, he's the sacrifice. And he then brings his own self, and he asks the question, notice in verse 14, how much more, how much more shall the blood of Christ cleanse us? And it's not just the outside. I hope that you know, right, when we come to faith, it's not behavior modification. It's not just, okay, let's adopt a set of good morals. No, the the Spirit of Christ is even more powerful than that. It changes us from the inside out. And it's not just some sins. But you and I can rest and be assured of we are completely, entirely, comprehensively forgiven, cleansed of conscience from our dead works, the idea of our own attempts to try to do that, and then we've been set free, and we'll talk about this in two weeks, that we can serve a living God, a dynamic, loving, growing relationship. Even the psalmist looked forward to this day, and he says in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far God has removed your transgressions. There's a lot to say, but let me hone in on two phrases. One is this, that Christ, notice verse 14, he offered himself. He offered himself. Please understand that Jesus was no victim. He is a victor. And he, and he says of himself, he says, I, no one's taking my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. And I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it back up again. And he did. He says that in John 10, 18. And I want to share this in light of what we talked about earlier too, the understand that God's still at work. Listen, because what appears to be, even, even Christ going to a cross, what appeared to be a defeat, what appeared to be bleak, what appeared to be dark and hopeless and helpless, it wasn't. It was all part of God's plan. And church family, can I encourage you? Listen, that is true of your life today too. What appears to be a setback, what appears to be a denial, what appears to be a closed door, what appears to maybe be a detour, it's not the end of God's story in your life. God is still at work. He's still at work behind the scenes. He's still at work, if you will, in the underground. Jesus said this peculiar thing recorded for us in John chapter 12, verse 24. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, which really it seemingly dies, right? That unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it, it doesn't do anything. It will remain alone. But in order for it to find root, in order for it to bear fruit and grow, it, it goes underground, it gets buried, it dies, and then it bears much fruit. There are things in your life that God is saying, listen, it has to fall away. Something has to come to an end. And God wants to bring life, a new chapter, a new season. And do not fret because the Lord is still at work. Jesus did not die by accident. (laughs) He didn't give it, it wasn't a random death. He willingly put himself on the cross, and by the way, for you and for me, for the joy that was set before him, the Bible says. That's you. For God so loved the world, that's you. 
Even while we're yet sinners, God wanted to demonstrate his love for you, that he sent Jesus to come and to live and die for your sins in your place because he loves you. That's how much God loves you. And gang, listen, the cross in itself wasn't the final story, right? It's part of the story. It's an integral part of the story, but it wasn't the, the, the rest of the story, just like God's still at work in your life. It's, he's not done. But I want to pause here for a, a little bit and, and, you know, even as we began to talk about what are some of the interesting things about the very blood that's in our body, I want to talk about the, the very important things about the blood of Christ. And there's much more to say than the things I'm going to share, seven quick things with you. Because really, I would say we can attribute every blessing that we have is tied to the blood of Christ. I mean, every divine grace that you and I get to enjoy is because Jesus gave his life for you and for me. But what does the blood of Jesus do? Well, first and foremost, it, it provides for us eternal life. It secures for us eternal life. When Christ gave his life, he gave his blood. Listen, he gave everything, and he gave everything so that you and I could have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. Jesus would say, Surely I say to you, unless you partake of my body and drink of my blood, the idea of being, you know, coming to faith in Christ, he says, You have no life in you. And it is because God loves you that he sent Christ to die for you, to bleed for you. Andrew Murray said, of all the glorious things that the blood means, this is perhaps the most glorious. His blood is a sign, yes, it is the measure, yea, it is the impartation of the love of God itself. And so we have eternal life. What else does the blood of Christ do? Amazing thing. It redeems us. Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Now, all, all of these are going to overlap to some degree, but the idea that we've been redeemed, it means that we've been, we've been bought back. We've been, something's been exchanged for us. We've been released from captivity. I've shared with you guys before, you know, there's all these great ways in which the Bible describes how we come to faith. We, we have been born again. We've been rescued We've been PCS, we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous kingdom of light. We have been bought. We have been redeemed. It's a very powerful image. And as I shared earlier, Peter says it's not with gold or silver. His very life, his very blood. But the imagery is this, though. It's because of our sins we were in captivity. We were in bondage to our sin, to the power of sin, to the penalty of sin. We violated God's perfect law. And then we've been redeemed. None of us deserve it, though. Well, I shared that story with you before. My kids, when they were younger, they're in the car at Christie. And they start chanting, We want McDonald's. We want McDonald's. And she wasn't having it. Then they changed their chant, We deserve McDonald's. We deserve McDonald's. So my wife and her, her frustration, solid theology, but I would say maybe a little bit angst. She said, you don't deserve McDonald's. You deserve death. <laughs> and all my kids got really quiet. 
Yeah, that's theologically sound, babe. Yeah, they deserve death, you know. <laughs> we all deserve death. We don't deserve McDonald's. We deserve death. That's what the gospel tells us. And yet, because Jesus shed his blood for us, and yet because Jesus gave his life for us, oh, he's, he's redeemed us. He's purchased our freedom. The power of sin. Oswald Chambers says, when Christ shed his blood on the cross, it was not the blood of a martyr. It wasn't the blood of a man for another man. And yet it was the, the life of God poured out to redeem the world. Along with that, the blood of Christ secures forgiveness of our sins, all of our sins. Paul writes to the Colossians and he talks about the sacrifice of Christ and the blood of Christ and he says, and Christ has forgiven us all of our trespasses. He's wiped them out. He's cleared our record. He canceled the, the record of debt that stood against us and now we have been exonerated all of its legal demands. One of the greatest things that the blood of Christ does for us is it washes us clean and makes us pure. In the moment that you come to faith, in the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you understand you are made clean. And I would add this, and we'll talk about it again more in two weeks, all of the guilt and the shame that comes with that that we can attach and sometimes we still carry Oh, we know that we're forgiven, and yet the memory and the painful memory of what we did and our stupidity, we hang on to, and yet God says, even that I have paid for, even that I want to release you from. You are forgiven. You know, we're hearing these terms a lot lately in the discussion of vaccines and infections and prior infections, and it's these two terms, effectiveness and efficacy. And, and I'm, maybe you've discovered that, uh, as I discovered, it doesn't even seem like scientists know what uh, those two things are when it comes to the vaccines and prior infections and these things. What is the effectiveness and what is the efficacy of these things? Listen, I, I don't know what it is, but, but this is what I do know, and I can tell you with 100% certainty that the saving effectiveness and the cleansing effect efficacy of the blood of Jesus Christ is 100%. Completely clean. Completely atoned for. And it's activated when you and I come to faith in Christ. There's such freedom in that. Such security in that. There's another word that the blood of Christ provides for us. I mentioned earlier, it's the word propitiation. It's a big, we don't normally use that word uh, in our normal dialogue. We might use the word redeem, right? I want to redeem this coupon for some ice cream, or I forgive you, but propitiation, that's a big word. It's a Bible word, and it basically just means to appease, to set at peace. Romans chapter 3 tells us that God put Jesus forward as the propitiation by his blood received by faith, and we can be forgiven. What was appeased? See, it, it all, all of it's a facet of God. See, God in his nature is this. God is love and he's kind and he's forgiving and he's gracious and he's merciful. But God also is just and God is righteous and God is holy. 
And yes, there's a part of God where God is a God of righteous wrath. And God cannot deny those natures. They exist together. And so because of that, God then couldn't just turn a blind eye to sin. He couldn't just say, oh, we'll just, you know, sweep it under the rug. No, something had to be dealt with. And so God in his great grace devised his own plan where he himself came in the likeness of man, in flesh and blood, Jesus Christ who came to this earth and he gave then his life and his blood to then appease the righteous judgment and wrath that was necessary and yet still enact this incredible act of mercy and grace for us. And both then are satisfied. At the cross is where that happens. The blood of Christ also justifies us. We find justification in Romans 5, 9. We've been justified by his blood. Again, it's very similar. Justification is a legal term. Picture in your mind's eye uh, a court case. If one of the ways that we've been, our salvation is described as being born again or being adopted or being rescued, here's another picture. We've been set free. We're no longer guilty. We've been justified. There's the prosecution. There's the defense. We stand before the righteous judge, and guess what? We are all condemned. We're all guilty. We're guilty. But Christ then comes and says, yes, you're guilty, but I will take your place. And you can have my innocent standing. You take my place as a free person. I'll take your place as the condemned person. We'll trade places. Why? Not that you deserved it. Because God loves you. Our record of wrong has been erased. Exonerated. Done. Oh, this is my notes, but... Um, the good friend, uh, actually just moved back to Okinawa recently, and hopefully I can get him up here. He can tell the story so much better than I can. His name's Aaron. And, uh, and several years ago, uh, Aaron was in college, and he was just living the party life. And, and the way that he tells the story is that one day, he's just partying up, and he kind of had like this emotional breakdown, and, and one of his friends, as a joke, said, what's wrong with you? You need Jesus. And that phrase just kind of stayed in his head and rattled around for a bit. And he thought, maybe, maybe I do, that's what I need. So he went to the, the, the college library and he checked out a, a Bible. He didn't own one, so he checked one out. And he brought it home that summer and he, and he read the Bible. And he began to understand what God did for him. So he comes back to school the following year and he can't finish his registration because he has an overdue library book. So he calls up one of his fraternity brothers who worked at the library and said, hey, can you make this thing go away? And his fraternity brother said, no, they keep good records. No, I can't do that. But on Friday, they're having amnesty day. Just come and you can turn in your books and, and uh, you know, they're clearing out debt. So Aaron tells the story so much better. He gets in line and he has the Bible. And he's kind of embarrassed. 
But he gets to the line, and he gets to the counter, and there's this girl sitting there, and so she says, okay, your name, and he says, Aaron, well, I can tell you, Aaron DeLeon, so Aaron, and okay, oh, you have a Bible, and she, he says, yes, here it is, and she says, okay, and she crosses out his name, and she says, all right, all your debts are forgiven now, you, you're free, and he tells the story so much better, and he says, in that moment, the gospel hit him, and he began to cry in front of this girl, and he realized, like, what Christ did for him. He'd been set free. He was guilty. He had a debt. But it was amnesty day. Listen, our, our record of wrong has been erased by the blood of Christ. What else does the blood of Christ do for us? It brings us into fellowship. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ, we who've been afar. It's another way that God describes our, the way we've come to salvation. Born again, adopted, justified. Well, once we were far away, but now we've been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Into relationship with God. And really, what, what did Christ do? Well, he restored the relationship that God originally wanted. We were created for that. And because of Christ, we can have that now. We have been on this cosmic timeout, far from the Lord. And yet, because of the blood of Christ, we've been brought near. My, my, two older, my two younger kids are older now. They're teenagers, and they're pretty active. And so just the other day, I went to pick them up, and they were playing basketball. It was hot. It was humid. And so as they came into the car, along in this very hot and humid day, came with them this teenage boy funkiness. I was like, oh, like roll down the windows, you know. It was emanating from them. It was like, like an evil potpourri, you know, like just dis, the diffusing from them. No amount of body spray with, you know, the toxicity of a teenage boy funk, right? So we get home, and I'm like, do not sit on the couch when you get home. Uh, go shower. Even if you have to shower together, go shower, like... <laughs> Like, throw your clothes, and let's burn them, and we'll get rid of them. Don't sit down anywhere. Don't do anything. And, and use all of the shampoo. Use all of the soap, like, for at least an hour. Uh, the nastiness of our sin kept us from fellowship with God. But the blood of Christ cleans us. And by the way, Man, I wish they would invent a soap that they would just you could wash one time and you'd be done. That'd be amazing. I would buy that soap. That would be my the birthday gifts for my teenage boys. <laughs> but yet, that's what the blood of Christ does for us spiritually. We're told if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another with God. And why? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, by the way, of all sin. First John one seven. In our spiritual soap, First John one nine. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Right? Lastly, the blood of Christ empowers us. It does more than these things, by the way, but we have this preview of heaven in Revelation chapter 12, and we're told that the church, they overcame spiritual forces. They overcame spiritual attack by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. 
the fact that they were believers in the blood of Christ. King, I, a lot of what we're seeing in the world right now, I, I believe with all my heart, it, it is a, it's spiritual. And God is working on a spiritual timeline. And I believe that Christ is coming back really soon. And I believe that a lot of these things that we're watching, are, are, they are a template. They are a, uh, a dry rehearsal for when the end times ushers in. The mark of the beast, the tribulation period. But I also believe that we don't have to be afraid. And, and while the world is looking for a, a trustworthy cure and inoculation, I would say this, the real inoculation the world needs is the blood of Christ. Because there is a parallel, right? When our body and our, health, and our blood's healthy, arguably right, we're healthy, we're protected from disease. It's the way that God's designed our body. And similarly, when you and I are, are healthy, we're walking with the Lord, there is nothing that the devil can bring against you that the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't overcome. There's a, you know, there's a song, right? No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck you from his hand. It's here in the power of Christ we stand because of his blood. Amen? All right, there's the bell. Let's pray. Father, thank you. There's so much more that we could say and declare and, and even preach to ourselves with the power of the blood of Christ. God, we, we, we trust that really the application today is just to affirm these truths in our own life and our heart this morning. To thank you for your grace. To thank you that we are saved. To thank you, Lord, that the, the blood of Christ forgives us. It redeems us. It brings us into fellowship. It, it empowers us. Lord, thank you that we are reminded of your promise that all things are going to work together for good, that you are working behind the scenes. And so, Father, thank you again for your word, for your spirit, for Jesus. We love you and we praise you in his name. Amen.